Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to a brand new week here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. You are listening live and on demand. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. And you are you. I mentioned it's a brand new week. We have a lot going on here today. Ask Me Anything is coming your way next hour. A lot of questions there, courtesy of our followers over on Gab, none of which I have seen yet. So uh, Todd has selected them, and Aaron will hit me with them coming up in the next hour of the show. At the bottom of this hour... This is one you definitely want to bookmark. I'm getting a lot of questions about this right now as the excess death numbers around the country continue to surge. Dr. Molly James is going to join us at the bottom of this hour over at jamesclinic.com. Again, that's jamesclinic.com. And and Molly was one of the original frontline doctors in New York battling COVID at its absolute worst during its initial entry point. Well, Not its initial entry point, but the initial entry point that we acknowledged anyway uh, in the New York hospitals. She has been uh, she has she has been in a position to run the gamut from literally smuggling early treatments into hospitals across the country for people uh, to now having her own clinic. Um, And I know a lot of you have questions. What do I do if I took this spike protein? How long does it last? Is there a, a post-injection protocol I can take to get it out of my system? Um, do things like hydroxy and ivermectin still work with the new attenuated variants? We'll get into all of that with Dr. Molly James uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. So make sure you are listening intently for that conversation. But before we get there, let us begin as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the Pfizer revelation. Pharmaceutical giant Pfizer has confirmed they do indeed conduct risky research some call gain of function. In a press release on Friday, Pfizer responded to the Project Veritas sting operation, targeting one of their directors of research and development for mRNA technology. Now, Pfizer wants you to concentrate on the part where they say they don't do gain-of-function research, but just a couple of paragraphs later in the release, they say this, quote, in a limited number of cases when a full virus does not contain any known gain-of-function mutations, such virus may be engineered to enable the assessment of antiviral activity in cells, end quote. Sounds like gain-of-function to me. On Thursday at the CDC, at the end of a meeting of the Committee that Studies Vaccine and Similar Products, CDC Deputy Director Tom Shimabakuro had these startling words to impart. We, we take vaccine safety um, very seriously. Uh, with re- with respect to um, reports of people experiencing um, debilitating illnesses, um, I mean we we are we are aware of these um, reports of, of people experiencing long lasting health problems following COVID vaccination. Uh, in some cases, the clinical presentation of people suffering these health problems is variable and no specific medical cause for the symptoms have been found. Um, We understand that illness is disruptive and stressful, especially under those circumstances. And we acknowledge these health problems have substantially impacted the quality of life for people and have also affected those around them. And we hope uh, 
for improvement and recovery. And we will continue to monitor the safety of these vaccines and, and work with partners to try to better understand these types of adverse events. That is ominous. Moving on, Donald Trump's favorite for the chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna Romney McDaniel, won her re-election bid easily over former Trump lawyer Harmeet Dillon, who rightly criticized McDaniel for squandering the best electoral environment for Republicans in at least the last two decades. This means that after the 2022 midterms, it's official not a singular leadership figure in the Republican Party was ousted in large part thanks to Donald Trump. Nevertheless, he took to Truth Social to brag, congratulations to Ronna McDaniel on her big win as the RNC chair. Now we have to stop the Democrats from cheating in elections. Trump also took a pot shot at Ron DeSantis over the weekend on Truth Social. The fake news media was good yesterday in their coverage of my stops in New Hampshire and South Carolina. Other than the Globalist Street Journal, which is rarely accurate or good, they said the day was really amazing. The enthusiasm to make America great again has never been stronger. The revelations about Ron DeSanctimonious doing far worse than many other Republican governors, including that he unapologetically shut down Florida and its beaches, was interesting indeed. Donald J. Trump leading big. Here's Trump in South Carolina. And a friend of mine for a long time. We don't always agree, but that's okay, too. But he's, uh, he's a great guy, a great politician, actually, and uh, a terrific person who loves your state, Senator Lindsey Graham. Thank you, Lindsey. In other news, footage of the police beating of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee, was released on Friday night. The video shows the aftermath of a January 7th traffic stop that escalated, resulting in five police officers taking turns beating him. All five officers, who are black, by the way, have been fired and charged with murder, among other crimes. In various places around the country, protesters did their best to start riots, but the most damage happened in Memphis. Headline at CNN, the police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. Headline at Fox News, two Memphis officers involved in stop joined department after it lowered hiring standards. Here's some quick notes before we end. The third largest egg farm in the U.S. caught fire over the weekend, likely killing thousands of egg-laying hens. Not exactly what the pocketbook ordered in the midst of an already short supply of eggs. A Colorado court of appeals has ruled against Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop, saying his contention that baking a cake for so-called gender transition celebrations does not constitute protected speech. Phillips had been asked by a mentally ill individual to bake said cake and subsequently sued after Phillips declined. The state of Utah has banned the practice of mutilating the genitals of mentally ill minors for the purpose of affirming mental illness. Governor Spencer Cox signed a bill blocking kids access to puberty blockers, hormones and surgical procedures. Tennis superstar Novak Djokovic returned to Australia after being kicked out of the country last year for refusing the jab. Djokovic was competing in the Australian Open and won. And finally, Finland introduced the world to the first mentally ill national figure skater at an event over the weekend. As you can see, the mentally ill 59-year-old man lasted about 30 seconds on the ice before falling and not being able to get back up. The man, who has a name I can't pronounce, says it's been a lifelong dream to be an ice princess. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by one of our faves, the greats over at Built Bar. They have, by the way, for a limited release right now, which means drop it while it's hot. Chocolate chip cookie dough chunk puff is back in a limited release. Now, it's a little bit more limited than it than it was before I heard about it over the weekend. 
right? Yes. Right. Of course. Quantities are more limited now. After I put that order in, can I get a witness? All right. So it's more limited than it even was before. I, I, I did my part to limit it to me and maybe just a few others. All right. But you can get maybe the greatest single flavor of the greatest single protein bar of all time that and all the other great flavors banana cream pie puff is back as well um brownie batter is back that's incredible too all right uh promo code dace d-e-a-c-e to get 15 percent off when you go to built.com for built bar if you can't get those trust me all the other flavors are great too all right built.com you won't believe how few calories how little sugar how much protein how few carbs and how good they are. Almost too good to believe. Built.com, promo code DACE to get 15% off. Somebody on Gab today actually asked the question, is Steve still involved with Built Bar? I haven't seen it lately. Like, do you even Steve DACE, bro? What? Yes. There it is. Yes. You've got your fill. Yes. Um, let's get to the montage. And if you are shocked that all of the national leaders of the Republican Party remain in their positions of power after blowing maybe the most favorable midterm election environment of my lifetime. It is certainly up there. If you are shocked by this news, let me stop and welcome you as a brand new listener to the Steve Day Show. I mean, we're constantly growing. I appreciate adding new and more people regularly because clearly you have never heard this show before, ever. Harmeet Dillon did a lot better, though, than I thought. And I say that by also adding she ended up with fewer votes than I expected. Now, how do those, how do those things, how are those things controvertible? How are they congruent? Huh. Let me explain the, the ways of the smoke-filled room. Over a, well, many years ago now, good friend of mine, we, we had here in Iowa, I don't know what, what it is now, but at the time, uh, our state central committee determined who the Iowa Republican Party leader was going to be. It was 20 people on the committee. And a good friend of mine who had been a leader, a Republican leader in the state legislature, had very high name ID, very well respected, ran this organization before my buddy Bob Vanderplatz took it over. So, in fact, he listens to the podcast almost daily. So, Danny Carroll, if you're out there in the audience, brother, shout out. All right. So, Danny ran for state party chairman in Iowa. I told him, you will not, you will not win. I mean, when they, when they had the, uh, the open uh, meeting where you could come down and, and, and give speeches for your candidate, where the candidate can also address the committee. He was the only one that had, like, the grassroots was there on a Saturday morning in the dead of January, were there showing out, you know, showing support. He's the only one that had any kind of that support showing up at all. And that's what I'm like, you definitely won't win after doing that. Okay, yeah, no shot. All right. In fact, I predicted to him what the vote was going to be, that the fix was already in, and you, they can't skunk you. All right. If if you get skunked, that'll really piss the base off because you're clearly the most qualified and known candidate for the race. 
All right. But that young guy from out of state that they're bringing in, this Matt Strawn guy, that's the, that's the guy they want. Which, by the way, after he ended up losing, after he ended up um, being deposed as state party leader, he actually became one of the lead attorneys for the gay marriage movement. Okay. So um, I'm like, that's the guy that they want right there. Okay. He's, he's being brought in. He, I mean, he opens his mouth, will proxy for food. That, that's his job. Okay, to be a voice for the donor interests that are really running the show. So the stronger of a candidate you look, the worse you're going to do. But they, they can't skunk you. If, they, if, if, they, if it comes out that you got skunked despite showing all this grassroots support and like a comprehensive plan on how to rebuild the party and everything else, if it turns out you get skunked after that, then it gets exposed to their base. How duplicitous and feckless they really are and there might be an uprising. And then they're gone. So they can't do that. So you're going to lose and they'll make it respectable. Not so close that they're like one or two of them could get picked off or pressured. Like, why didn't you vote for Danny Carroll? But close enough, it'll be, you know, like there's 20 people that vote. It'll be like 10-7. Okay, or, or I mean, 10-7. Uh, I'm sorry. It'll be like 17-13. I'm doing the math in my head poorly, but you get what I'm trying to say. It'll be something close, but not enough that you will be able to isolate who voted against you, who betrayed you, and it won't skunk you, okay? Month later, month or so later, we're having that girl state tournament snowfall. They always tell us that is an urban legend that we get almost every year. You know what I'm talking about, sure. right? Yeah. So I'm out snow plowing, snow plowing the driveway, and uh, wife runs out and says, hey, Danny Carroll's on the line, wants to talk to you right now. Oh, okay. I'd actually completely forgotten that, the, that they had yet to vote and, and announced who the new party chairman was. And it was on this day that they had announced who had won the party chairman election. And the, the, uh, the, the total of the vote was exactly what I told him it was going to be. He's like, how did you know? I had two words for him that day. Total depravity. The fact that Harmeet Dillon did not do as well in the vote total as I thought she might, given the momentum she clearly had at the end, actually tells me that she won an even bigger victory. And the next biggest win you could get, aside from winning it outright, she forced them to do it out in the open. You know what I'm trying to say here now? Yeah. She forced them to get it out. And, and I saw people from John Rich to Charlie Kirk traveling there, organizing delegates, forcing people to go on the record. Okay. Her, she built a strong enough candidacy that they had to have an honest, real election. They could not just, all right, we can't skunk her. Let's give her 75, 80 votes. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe 70. All right. So, you know, it looks like she was really heard, gave it a good shot and we'll call her afterwards for the unity message, you know, and just go back to doing what we normally want to do. The fact that she got doubled up in votes. See, they don't like that. Trust me. They don't want to show you that. They don't want you to know that that many people, no matter whether it's Ron DeSantis, Charlie Kirk, John Rich, all this support that she got here at the end. They don't want you to know that there is nothing she could have done. Nothing.
to have moved a majority of them. Literally nothing on earth. They don't want you to know that. Because you know what happens when you know that? Did you guys see what happened to the other officers' elections at the RNC that same day? Yeah. A lot of their people got defeated. Because then people are like, oh, it's like that? I right. Let's go. Now it's out in the open. Go back to the special I did with Jason Whitlock here on Blaze TV a couple of weeks ago in Nashville. And I asked him, what do we need to do to get to a new Nuremberg? And what was Senator Johnson's statement when I asked him that? His response. Remember that Ike opened the camps, made the world see what went on in there. We need more exposure. We need more exposure. We need more exposure. We need... We need more exposure. Like right now... There is a, there's a group of you losing your bowels that Trump and DeSantis are going to run together. And within that group, I'll see him interacting on social media. I want Trump held accountable for his COVID and jab policy. Well, I think Ron DeSantis is a globalist cuck. Gentlemen, can you think of a device that we may have which may give exposure for us to learn such valuable truths. In either case, in either case, these are valuable things to learn, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking if Ron DeSantis can't hold up to six months of trolling from Donald Trump, who somehow managed to lose a debate to a dementia patient, all right, that probably he wasn't actually the guy we thought he was. Fair? Fair. So let's bring it on, right? And if Donald Trump can't answer Ron DeSantis's questions about his COVID policy, then probably aren't any good answers to give at that point. Fair? So do we have a device maybe where exposure would illuminate truth for us? Can you think of something where we we have these things? A coronation. That's how we do it in our uh, system, right? It's called a primary. So let's do this. Let's put them on a stage, turn the camera on, and let's see what happens. I'm in. You? I'd like to know. I'd like to know. Let's see some iron sharpen some iron. The Republican Party doesn't want that. The other side does this out in the open, by the way. The way the, the way Democrats run their primary, it is the joker. They snap the cue stick in, and we're going to have tryouts. That's what they do. And just like spleens get ripped open on MSNBC every night. That's how they roll. By the way, who's winning? Them. They are! Remember the remember the, the the game between Navy and BYU, the COVID season it was on a. They yeah. always play that Labor Day game, and so Navy and BYU got moved to the Labor Day game during the COVID year, right? And remember BYU went out there this. and just absolutely, in all those twenty five year old Mormon guys, just went out there and embarrassed. Physically mauled and embarrassed the U.S. Naval Academy on national television. You remember that game? Yep. Just embarrassed, just embarrassed them. Like, took their testicles from them, crushed them, and then fed them to their women during their lamentations. Level of embarrassment. Did you hear what Ken, former now, Ken Niamamatolo, I think it was his name or something like that, the Navy coach, what he said after the game was his biggest mistake? We didn't hit or tackle all summer long during (laughs) practice. We didn't have live, we didn't go live one time in practice out of fear of COVID spreads and everything else, you know, we just didn't hit. Meanwhile, the BYU guys, they're married, they got kids, 
beards. They need a stress reliever. Right? They're like going out there all July and August like, we need to hit something, okay? <laughs> they weren't ready. They weren't ready, and they got exposed. See where my analogy is going here? Yeah. The fact that Harmeet forced them to do an honest assessment of the situation is a tremendous win for her. And it goes to show how respectable of a campaign she was able to mount, how much support she truly had, because the fact that still 111 members of the RNC looked at a woman that blew the last three elections in a row and said, vote her back in, caused, a, caused some other people to look around and say, you know what? Yeah, I gave a lot of, I give a lot of people here the benefit of the doubt. So, you know what? We're going to have one of these uh, MAGA people over here is going to be the uh, going to be the Treasury person. You know, they didn't win a lot of spots. After Rona won, they lost a lot of those RNC elections. Exposure is good. It is our friend. Exposure is our friend. Let Trump and DeSantis hammer it out. DeSantis either becomes the Roy Hobbs people like me thinks he is or just a really damn good governor. Donald Trump either gets moved into the truth of the decisions he made post March 20th that wrecked of 2020 that wrecked his uh, presidency. Or he doesn't. That's OK. Clarity is good. The truth is its own reward. Let me tell you what happens when we get clarity. That creeper-looking Utah governor, Spencer Cox, at this time last year, he was getting honored by, by the uh, meatball surgery industry. The Human Rights Campaign. People he like that. He him, right? He him, yes. He was vetoing bills that wouldn't... Dude, he wouldn't even protect women's sports, like the lowest level talking point in this entire battle. Not saying, did I say it was an unimportant talking point? No, but it's the lowest lying fruit of this entire battle. It's the kind of talking point Republicans tend to glom onto when they don't want to have to argue the premise of, of what the other side is doing. So they, they look for some low lying fruit talking point that they think can deflect the heat that they'll get for the position they take. He wouldn't even do that. He vetoed legislation that was going to protect women's sports last year. Spencer Cox, Utah governor. Now, a year later, a year later, dude is banning the island of Dr. Moreau from the state of Utah. What changed? Exposure. A, he was forced to go on the record. B, an entire movement of people stood up to this barbarism and monstrosity and said, ah, hell no. Nope. And bleep no if that won't work. And then you had maybe the best piece of original entertainment right of center America has produced since Ben Stein's expelled. And that was about, that was a few minutes ago. Okay, that was 2008, I believe. Or four, even earlier than that. Matt Walsh's What's a Woman was the viral event of the year on the American right. That movie was. That movie was. It was the largest single driver to, of subscriptions in the history of the Daily Wire. That was the viral event of the year on the American right. 
And Matt exposed, there's that word again, exposure, exposed. There are no good arguments. They're not holding out. You're not walking into some buzzsaw like, well, maybe there's a talking point. I don't know. And I want to look dumb. No, there's nothing there. There's just he speaketh with forked tongue. Nothing else. Nothing else. And he went right to them, to their faces and put them on camera to expose them. And once those kinds of arguments were weighed, measured, and found wanting. The ground starts shrinking beneath the feet of the Spencer Coxes of the world. And now, one year after he wouldn't even sign up for the lowest-lying Team GOP gutless talking point, save him in sports. Now he's just doing outright bans of the island of Dr. Moreau. What changed? Nothing. You changed him. The reality is it should be largely irrelevant to wins these primaries everywhere. Should be largely irrelevant. Shouldn't have to know their names. There should be a movement that no matter who wins, a movement that says, okay, well, this is the baseline expectation for you. And if that's not good enough, then um, we'll make you wish that all of our daddies wore condoms the next uh, time around. Thank you. Shouldn't matter if your name's Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump. Mike Pence, actually, probably can't help him. But you guys get my point. Shouldn't matter. I think I've said this before or many times on this show, but it's been a while. I did over 50 appearances on MSNBC over the course of several years as a token right-wing contributor. We debated every issue on planet Earth. You know what issue we never debated? Whether the the, the true progressive was going to win the Democrat primary. Never came up. Well, Steve, they didn't want to debate that with you. Wasn't on the segment before I was on. Wasn't on the segment after I was on. Didn't sweat it at all. The assumption was, um, with the mantle comes a baseline of expectations, and you will come correct, or you will be corrected. Spencer Cox in Utah got corrected. You think DeSantis is a secret globalist cuck? You think, Ron, you think Donald Trump will refuse to listen to reason about the poisonous jab, no matter how many bodies will rise? Let's find out. I don't know. Do you know know the future? Can you tell the future? Do you know how that's going to turn out? Do you know the future, Todd? I do not. No. Does does any man know the future? No. No. How would we know the future? Let's, Let's watch and see what happens. The truth is our friend. Exposure is our friend. Gentlemen, your thoughts. I don't know about you. I've said something like this before. I hope that Donald Trump, let's just say, decides to take a nice retirement before the primary. That's not going to happen now. But let's just, I hope that happens. Or he's otherwise decides voluntarily, involuntarily to be dispatched by legitimate means. I hope that happens. If it doesn't, I will gladly vote for him if he is the nominee, most likely. I will feel a hell of a lot better about that vote, though, if he goes through a process like you're talking about, where it's not this coronation that he seemingly is demanding right now, where he is challenged, where he is forced to account for the record that he now has that he didn't have back in 2015 and 16 as being uh, the chief executive. I feel a lot better about that vote if he goes through that. Because I I think accountability, I think iron sharpening iron, that's good for everybody. Even if you don't like his answers, at least he's going to be forced to contemplate 
the the questions that are being asked because right now I don't see very much of that. Win, lose, or draw exposure is really important uh, because it tells you what's true. Mm-hmm. And your energy there, Steve, reflects mine on Friday. And and God bless uh, Shannon Joy. She just happened to press the button. It had nothing to do with her. But this is each individual conservative proudly doing what they want to over here, no matter what the issue, the vote, COVID, a- amen to you. But this level of exposure is so important. With Donald Trump and De- Ron DeSantis and also that clip in there that Aaron showed, that second clip with the the, the guy just flat out admitting all the injuries that are happening. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and it, it, but he's basically shoulder struck. What can we do? They sh- When they were scared of a bad flu, they shut the country down. They gagged you with masks that don't work. They jabbed you uh, with uh, vaccines uh, that they were uh, gaming the system on to make money all along. This had to happen. Metaphysically, had to happen. Here, they know you're getting injured. I think, well, good luck, everybody. Exposure. That's that's my point in the energy I brought Friday. The same as Steve's right now. We 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 need as as individuals that level of liberty is choked off. What's politically with the Republicans over and over and over again? We keep doing the Sisyphus thing. It's old. It's exhausting. I'm done with it, and I hope all of you are too. I mean, that's that's the secret of Pro- Project Veritas' success. Exposure. They expose these things. And catch them saying and doing these things in their own words over and over and over again. And that's why they keep having tremendous impact. We need not run or be afraid of the truth. The truth is our friend. Or at least, it should be. Everywhere you look, we are seeing the deterioration of America's trusted institutions. I believe eggs may cost more now than they ever have in all of human history. Right? How many times have we thought to ourselves, man, that's that could never happen here. And then it happened. Make sure when it's the food supply, if or when, let's pray it's not, but if or when it is the foods it is a food supply writ large, make sure the next time that could never happen here happens, you are prepared with our friends at My Patriot Supply, with a new lower price and their popular three-month emergency food kit, which is breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snacks and drinks, the 2,000 plus calories that you need per day. Now you can save $200 per kit, not on your bill, per kit, all right? So however many kits you get, you can save 200 bucks on each one of those. These stay good for over 20 years with proper storage and free shipping too. Free shipping as well. You want to take advantage of this great offer, go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Once again, $200 off each kit, three months of peace of mind, and free shipping when you go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Well, it, would, it is not an overreaction or hyperbole to say that Dr. Molly James has been one of a select group of heroes uh, from the last few years that, first of all, ran to the front lines during the early advents of uh, the advent of COVID, uh, but then was also willing to follow the data and help people 
that the system wanted to leave behind or was willing to over the last couple of years as well. You can go to her website at jamesclinic.com. That's jamesclinic.com. And we welcome her back here to Blaze TV radio and podcast. Molly, it is great to see you. How are you? Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me on today. Doing well. Thank you. So I'm getting a, a couple of questions repeatedly. And I figured, let's just go to a clinician that knows what they're doing and ask them for answers. I want to start with aftercare if you took the jab. As you know, less than 15% of American adults did not allow them to inject any of this into their bodies over the last couple of years. The overwhelming majority of that 85% who did, did so under the threats of coercion or false promises from government and relentless uh, advertising, et cetera. And so now that the excess death numbers continue to surge throughout the West, now that we have both CDC data and we have Rasmussen polls showing about 7% of people reporting severe or major uh, adverse events, I'm getting a lot of questions about what if I took the jab, how long long does this spike protein stay in my body? Is there a protocol to get it out of my body? So the floor is yours on tackling that question to start us off, Molly. Yeah, thank you. I think anybody out there with common sense and a brain can see that things are going on that aren't being acknowledged. Um, The only place that vaccine injury isn't a problem is in hospitals and mainstream media. Um, Everybody else has concerns about what's going on. Um, So there's a few things. First of all, if you got the shot and you're feeling fine and you're not having any problems, you're probably okay, especially if you didn't get sick afterwards. Ryan Cole has spoken a lot about the storage of these. They were um, had to be tightly temperature regulated, and a lot of those places weren't doing that. So potentially you got uh, a benign injection, something that went to mush and is a placebo. So be thankful for that. Um, if you're still concerned, find somebody that's COVID literate and have them run some baseline labs on you to check for things like clotting and inflammation and see if there's anything that needs to be addressed. Um, If you are having symptoms, again, you need to be evaluated. Um, Most of the patients who make their way to my office have spent anywhere from ten to seventy thousand dollars, probably averaging thirty thousand in corporate medicine, being pushed from doctor to doctor, having extensive testing, and being told we're not finding anything. This is all anxiety. So when they come to my office, usually I get. We do additional labs. Uh, Most of the people come in with very incomplete labs, and we start them on a a protocol of prescription medications, supplements. Um, We integrate hyperbaric oxygen and IV vitamin infusions where it's possible if they're geographically close to us. Um, The IV vitamin C is very anti-inflammatory, so it has a great effect on that. And we're seeing a big turnaround, but these patients are difficult to treat when they have severe symptoms. Is it true... I've used this analogy, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. Would you define the the risk factor here similar to a game of Russian roulette? That every time I put a gun, the gun to my temple and pull the trigger, there is a risk. But with increased opportunities of playing that game, the risk obviously increases. Meaning that anytime I inject that spike protein into my body, it came with a risk. But uh, the more I did it repeatedly over and over and over again, particularly if we're talking every four to six months before the original uh, dosage you took, even had a chance to clear your system to begin with, the risk just kind of escalates from there. Is that, I've been giving our audience that analogy, is that a proper analogy for me to give? I think it's a fair relation, right? 
So if you got one shot, don't get two. If you get two, don't get three. Like wherever you're at, if you have gotten them for whatever reason, just stop getting them moving forward. Um, it does seem to be dose dependent. There's a little nuance to that data that was discussed at uh, Senator Ron Johnson's second roundtable, which is the people who got one shot and then opted out, had the most severe side effects, and they're having the highest morbidity and mortality. Um, but then after that is a dose dependence increase. Um, the other concerning thing, at continuing to give yourself these shots, is there's a class switch from IgG um, 2 and 3, which are neutralizing antibodies, to IgG 4, which is like an allergic reaction. So basically, like allergy shots, where you keep giving them to your body, your body starts to ignore them and stop responding. So that's what we're seeing also that, that really isn't getting a lot of attention. That's an important point because there's a distinction. Not all antibodies are created uh, equally, correct? Because they like the, the other side will say, well, this still produces antibodies. Well, which kind of antibodies are we talking about, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. And that was the problem all along. It's been pointed out that it's IgG antibodies, not the IgA. So IgG is in your bloodstream. It's a response to something in the bloodstream. IgA is what you get with natural immunity. It lines your mucosal airways. Um, so you're... you're nose and your throat so that when you breathe in the virus it's attacking it on the front lines and you don't get that from the shots so let me go back to my original question just to try to give a more specific example to see if we can either put more people's minds at ease or cause them to be more prudent in reaction i got i you know my my job forced me to do this right away when the mandate came down in last September and then last spring, the Supreme Court um, uh, overruled uh, the mandate before they could get to a, a mandate of a second round of boosters. OK, um, if I haven't had any symptoms yet and I haven't taken any further injections of this spike protein, do I how much how much concern do I need to have? Is it still in my system if I took this in September, October of 2021, but didn't take any more afterwards? I don't think anyone has the answer to that. And I think they are developing tests to look for free spike in the bloodstream. Um, I th believe that's something Dr. Ram Yogendra and Bruce Patterson have been working on. Um, but that's one of the problems by launching this out to billions of people with an incomplete research, right? We have no idea how long people are spike factories mm -hmm. and what variables that's dependent upon. Um, I thought the FLCCC had a great conference. Um, it's about 15 talks of how to clear spike from your body. I don't like using the word detoxify. Um, I don't think that's medically accurate because you're not actually processing it, processing it through a chemical reaction. But but rather your body is isolating it and disposing of it. It's a different process called autophagy. Um, so again, I try not to use the word detoxify, um, but there are steps you can do like intermittent fasting and there's supplements that su support that process like spermidine and resveratrol. All right, let's get to the next question I'm getting a lot. Do the old, um, you know, I, I loaded up in, in the past, we've had people um, that, uh, and this is one of the ways you and I got to know each other well is, I had a friend, I sent him to you and his pharmacy, two different ones wouldn't give him ivermectin. Okay. So since then we've had different advertisers and partners on the show that uh, allowed you to have it with you. Uh, it just in case something would happen. If I, if I test positive for COVID, is it just as simple as, Hey, I just, you know, I started up a regimen of hydroxy or ivermectin or, or how, how, how have the treatment protocols changed with these new, by evidence uh, or attenuated variants that we have now? 
Yeah, I would tell people since Delta went away and Omicron became the dominant um, genetic variant that we haven't been seeing cytokine storm. So the thing that was resulting in most people going to the hospital, um, the severe inflammation in the lungs, we're not seeing that as commonly right now. Um, so that's a huge relief. Um, I think we can stop doing routine prophylaxis. Yes, I think treating early with ivermectin and hydroxy in your pocket is effective. I haven't modified my treatment protocol a lot okay. other than I don't feel as strongly about the need for aspirin. Um, you know, for some younger people, I don't do the, the phenofibrate anymore. Um, so that's kind of where we go with that. As a clinician and an honest one, where are we at with this virus right now in America based on what you are seeing from your patients? So there's a handful of people who are getting very sick from this, and I'm not in the hospital, so I, I don't know what their course looks like. Mostly what I'm telling patients that come in now is for, for the majority of people, it's a cold. Um, there's a few people who get the fatigue for a very long time. Some people have secondary infections like sinusitis, bronchitis, or early pneumonia. We treat that with antibiotics. Um, so those are the main things that I talk to people about. Um, you still can get blood clots. Um, again, it's nowhere near the risk we saw with alpha and delta, but anytime you have a secondary infection and inflammation in the body, um, you, that increases your risk overall of having blood clots. Okay. Finally, can I ask you about a somewhat sensitive topic that I have seen you address recently that I, I have frankly tried to stay out of because it, it pits people that I think have, for the most part, been on the right side of this throughout most of this three-year ordeal. It pits them against one another. But it is now crossed into an arena where people's credibilities are getting questioned. So I would, so your thoughts, because I'm getting a lot of questions about this now. The, the Alex Berenson, Pierre Corey, and uh, whether he really had that, the, the, the woman with the shakes was really his patient or not. And I have been hesitant to wade into that because prior to this phase, and really even still, I mean, Alex was still tweeting this morning. If you are reading any outlet that is trying to attribute any surge in excess deaths without even considering that the mRNAs are responsible for it, then, I mean, they're, they're just not credible. You and I would agree with that, I'm sure, okay? Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, I mean, he has done as much legwork in terms, especially early on, in terms of exposing what they were really doing here than just about anybody has. He's also been exceedingly skeptical of all of you that claim you can treat it. I've largely stayed out of that because, to me, data wins, and the data has, has come out on your side. I've seen that with my own eyes. But this is now kind of getting personal between him and Dr. Corey, so I'm getting questions about it. What, what are your thoughts? So, yeah, all of this is unnecessary noise, right? Alex Berenson is a journalist. Um, I think he's done good work on exposing a lot of things throughout the pandemic. He is not a clinician. He does not take care of patients. And he has no expertise regarding ivermectin. So I, I don't know why this is a sore point for him. He's attacked a number of the people in the movement that I align with. Um, you know, and the problem is when you have somebody who's credible on some fronts and not on others, that creates a lot of confusion. Um, I have it on back channels through our doctor chat that this is a patient of Dr. Corey. He says she is and she says she is. So who's to question that? Like, what is the motive on that? Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't like the fact that he's attacking people with vaccine injury. These movement disorders are very real, and I've seen them, in, and I'm actually producing a video tomorrow of one of our patients who is much better um, through hyperbaric oxygen and the things that we've been doing. Not completely 100%, but 
but better. And so I just, when it comes to specific clinical scenarios, the people who aren't treating patients have to take a step back. Um, you know, Dr. Corey's been highly reputable throughout this, and what would be his motive um, to be disingenuous with this patient? That's the thing. We're talking about a drug. I mean, this is why they didn't want you guys using it. It's, it's, it's cheap like hydroxy. It's not as cheap as it once was, but it's still a hell of a lot cheaper than Paxlovid. So these things are cheap and repurposed. There's no great amount of money for you guys to be, for you guys to make here, pimping out a drug that they don't want to be used because they can't make billions of dollars off of it anymore. So I don't, I don't know what the motivations would be um, to falsify these kinds of medical records, not to mention all of you are under constant threat by your, your, your requisite boards in your communities that you're accountable to because of your willingness to to treat and buck the system so i would i would think that they if you guys had had made up all these claims and none of this was true they would have loved to have exposed this and stripped all your licenses from you by now yeah and i think for the for the viewer out there there's some rifts in the medical community and people don't know who to trust and i would say this trust the people who are respectful who bring data who listen to other people who aren't advocating for censorship and who are opening to listening to new facts. If you follow that path and claim to be not certain about anything, right? There are very few things I'm certain about, um, such as ivermectin and early treatment is much better than not. Um, but this is this is kind of where you have to align your, your trust and go with your gut instinct on this, because there are those rifts out there. Molly, great stuff. Again, jamesclinic.com, correct? That's where people can go to follow up and get more information or even um, some, some medical care if they need it, correct? Yeah, we're here to help, and we, we're seeing these difficult cases, and we're doing our very best um, to get them what they need. All right, jamesclinic.com is where to go. Good to see you, Molly. God bless. Take care. Thanks, Steve. Take care. You bet. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I'm really glad you asked that about uh, the parents and Corey. It's really interesting uh, how Alex now seems to be succumbing to the very thing he fought so hard against, this this metaphysical certitude of a a way of doing reality that doesn't actually accept reality when it comes along. I'm reminded one of my favorite shows ever is MASH. And when Charles Emerson Winchester came along to replace Frank Burns, unlike Frank, who is a hack surgeon, Charles was as good as they come. Mm -hmm. But he came into the MASH unit and he thought, oh, this is how, this is the system. This is how I do things. And after that first day, Hawkeye and BJ introduced him to meatball surgery. Now, is it the way you do things under perfect conditions? But it's a frickin' war. They kept people alive. Ultimately, that's the test. And, and, and now that uh, Alex won't apply that to ivermectin, I mean, with a level of really religiosity that's no different than the mask and all the other stuff, it just goes to show how all of us, all of us, if we do not humble ourselves to the truth at the end of the day, no matter what form it comes in, the spirit of the age will get us. Totally agree with that. And um, it's it's almost um, the relationship, I think, that Alex Berenson has with, I guess, the rest of us is kind of like the Republican Party leadership to its base. It's like, I am not you. I'm, I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm with yeah. you. I do not want to associate with you people. Because most of us, let's just be honest, most of us on this side are conservative right-wingers some what whatever you want to call it and he is not that and he never has been and he's never made any allusions to that whatsoever 
but there is some some intrinsic need within him. You can take the reporter out of the New York Times, but you can't take the New York Times out of the reporter. I'm not one of you guys. That's, I think, what this is all about. He still cares about how he is viewed by that class of people. I think that's, I think that's what this is all stemming from. Irony of that is, neither is Pierre Corey. Yeah. He's not yeah. one of us at all. <laughs> he's reevaluating things in light of what he's seen the last yes. couple of years, but he wasn't one of us to begin with at all. Two live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd and Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then you can also find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. That's D-E-A-C-E. Speaking of Gab, they're going to take center stage here in a moment for the Ask Me Anything. If you are a podcast listener, thank you so much for being one of many of those. Please, if you've yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or follow depending on which applies to whichever podcast platform you prefer. And thank you to each and every one of you that have done those things for us already. You have helped and done your part for our show's continued growth. And also that we made uh, the right and successful offering to the um, uh, capricious, algorithmic, difficult gods. So thank you to each and every one of you for one of those. Could you say we are in an unprecedented culture war in America? Well, Bang. Steve, I mean, we. <laughs> nice. Well, Steve, we had a civil war. Yes, we did. But other than the singular issue there that begged that conflict, the biggest difference in life in America, other than that issue, depending on which, whether you live north or south, largely was. If you lived in the North, you probably lived in a more urban setting. And if you lived in the South, you lived in a largely more agrarian one. Now, obviously, the issue that separated them, that's a pretty big issue, right? Yeah. And, and that's why more people, more Americans died in Antietam than any singular event in American history. But if that issue wasn't on the table, would there have been a civil war? No. they There were grave political differences, but by and large... The presuppositions and first things of society were largely agreed upon between North and South. That's why there was a civil war over that question. Because one side said, well, why won't we extend those first things to everybody, regardless of whether they look like us or not? And the other side said, nah. This is, to me, on a granular level, even more toxic. Because we don't agree on the first things anymore. We just don't. And a lot of us are wondering, what can we do? Get a hold of our friends over at Constitution Wealth. Right? They, they want to help you manage your portfolio, manage your money, grow your portfolio, grow your wealth, but, but also in ways that builds the kingdom, not just wealth and a portfolio. 
right? They, they want to help you apply your values to your money. These guys are, let's just say they're a good fit for the Steve Day show. These guys are fired up. They know their stuff. They know their data. No BS. Enjoyed immensely hanging out with them uh, right before Christmas as we were getting ready to uh, add them to the show here in 2023. So if you want to just, if nothing else, just get smarter. It's just get a free consultation. You got nothing to lose. Uh, constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. That's constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Again, this is about building the kingdom, not just our portfolio. Constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to it. Time again this week to ask me anything. As I mentioned a minute ago, our followers over on Gab, you get to ask the questions this week. Todd, you have selected them. I have not seen any of them in advance. And then, Aaron, you will now begin to hit me cold with those questions. We will begin with a five-star review question. This is from Stacy, who says, I've noticed that a lot of young men these days, 30s or younger, are very effeminate in talk, dress, and how they carry themselves. I also think they're scrawny. What do you think is causing this? LGBTQ agenda? Vaccines? The former. The former. Um, now, I wonder, did parents in the 60s and 70s when their sons came home with long hair, did they think they were effeminate? Yeah. I would imagine they did, right? Okay. Think of the 80s, right? Simon LeBon and Duran Duran up there wearing eyeliner and stuff like that. Sure. Did that come across as effeminate, right? Motley Crue was doing Shout at the Devil with more mascara. Vince Neil had more uh, had on more mascara than the 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 vamps and the cougars that were vamping there on uh, you know in the audience, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um in the context, when we look at those things, though, in the context of what Stacy is talking about, it doesn't seem to be nearly the same thing, though, does it? Like, no. it, like in those eras, it, a lot of the old school dudes were like, what's up? Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Um, but there was a notion that it was outside the norm. That's why it stood out. Yeah. I think what Stacy is describing is that in our time here in this era, this has largely become the norm. What, what stands out now is masculinity. It's not, you're not standing out doing the full Trent Reznor, the full Marilyn Manson. Um, we go back to the eighties, the full hair metal era all right, Brett Michaels and with more hairspray, okay, than, you know, your prom queen. That stuff stood out. That was the outlier. The outlier nowadays, it seems to be, is the masculinity is the outlier. And they're, am I wrong in that or what do you think? Since you and I are about the same age, what do you think? I think you're exactly right. Just a couple of days ago, I was talking about how that, yeah, the... The red light district, the line of when you cross into it has has changed o- over time, different eras and things like that. But now the red light district is entirely normative. 
that's when the, when I say the normies are the problem. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a, a realization that we are east of Eden, so there's a tension. It's just like giving up altogether on the fact that we have to acknowledge uh, that, do our best to make sure it stays in a place that does not overcome us. I agree with you uh, entirely. Mm -hmm. And so now these 30-year-olds who have been raised with participation awards, et cetera, et cetera, which isn't necessarily an LGBT thing, but it's just a, a neutering thing. It's... You and I out at recess, I mean, we had names that you can't say uh, anymore, but it mm-hmm. was just like throw a football into the middle and you 50 guys tackle each other at recess. It I'm was like, called every- smear the, and you come yeah. up with a word that and, it rhymes with. Yes. And all the adults understood this is like hockey fights. Yep. This is how we maintain order the yeah. rest of the day. Yeah. Let the boys go out and kill each other for 15 minutes. Yep. That's gone. And look at how we spent our... Our relaxation time. Yeah, you and I played video games. I spent every bit as much or more time with a ball in my hand, running around, do, getting dirt under my fingernails. Yep. That's also non-existent anymore. Yeah. I think that you said that very well. Next question. We now go on to submissions from Gab. Ben says, do you see the classified documents scandal uh, fizzling out with no accountability for President Biden? The news cycle seems to have moved on. It moved on to Pence. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested in this because, you know, we really haven't talked about it yet. Like, what, what the hell is a classified document, anyways? Who's in charge of this? This is insane. Forget the politics. Right, right. That's a, kind of boring at this point on some level. What the hell is going on? Well, there's the argument that was presented when the Biden revelations came out a couple of weeks ago was also oh, now you guys on the right now you care about classified documents <laughs> okay the reality is constitutionally a president can declassify and and by the way this is something we have said on this show we have told you this for years before any of these these sorts of scandals broke remember if you go back and you were listening to our show at the dawn of the Russian collusion story and when it, when it came out that the government had essentially spied on the Trump campaign. What was my number one in initial reaction to that, if you will recall, and go back and listen. Now, I wasn't right about everything in that, in that era. Don't, so if you go back and listen to those shows, you're going to hear me be wrong. Like I, I, didn't, I still didn't want to contemplate somebody with Robert Mueller's exemplary service of 50 plus years to the country would throw it all the way at the end for a complete and total ham-fisted scam. But he did. But he did. So I had to come to grips with that about a year later, okay, when that truth came out. So I don't want to make it, that, that's not my COVID, all right? That's Dan Bonginos, and he earned it. All right, he was right about that the entire time. So I don't want to make it look like, you know, if you go back and listen to our shows in March and April of 2020, they're going to hold up pretty well from what we know about COVID and stuff today. You go listen to my shows early in, you know, back in 2017 about at the advent of this Russian collusion story, they're not going to hold up as well. But one thing that I was right about at the very beginning, and maybe the only thing I was right about at the very beginning, was that President Trump should just declassify all these FISA do- warrants and documents right now and let's find out what's in them. Because a president can virtually declassify anything he wants. The vice president can't. 
the vice president can't virtually declassify anything he wants. So you may scoff at the argument that Trump made after the Mar-a-la- the you know the ridiculous Mar-a-Lago raid last year. You may you may scoff at his argument that by virtue of him possessing those documents, they are de facto declassified. You may scoff at that argument. I'm not saying that it would hold up to constitutional muster, although frankly, I don't really trust almost any institution in this day and age with the upholding of constitutional muster. Can I get a witness on that? Okay. So in a saner age, I'm not sure it would hold up to constitutional muster that just we have de facto or informal declassification of documents when a president or former president possesses them. I can tell you, though, there sure as hell is a lot more of an argument for that than vice presidents having declassified documents and trying that because there isn't one for that. So the double standard was actually on the other side. Doesn't necessarily mean that Trump's argument was precise, but there's a lot more of a merit for that because we're already starting with the premise that presidents have the power to declassify. Vice presidents don't. So the double standard here is actually on the other side. Maybe you could accuse Trump of taking the proper standard too far. I don't know that I would agree with that, but there's a merit to that argument. There is no merit to the argument that vice presidents have as, as, as much authority or power to declassify as a president does. They do not. So if, if I had to guess where this story will go is either A, they will use this as a means of of offering up some fig leaf to their most radical portions of their base onto why they could not perp walk Donald Trump because they lost the high ground on the issue. Or they will use it to justify a perp walk of Donald Trump by saying that, hey, we held our own guy accountable. It wasn't about politics from the beginning. It's, it's, always, it's always been about national security. All right. Which way it is? I, See, I don't a, know. If it was really about national security, shouldn't something called a classified document be much less prone to walking off right. with not Stop one, think about not two, not three? Presidents I, and their family members just walking out with boxes. Nobody's like, hey, man, what, what, who's keeping track what you, of this? What you doing? What you got? How does it end up in some guy's garage for months on end if it's really important? Some, I've said this to people that um, have asked me, um, there's two things I've said to people when they've asked me, you know, what, I want, I'm thinking about getting involved in politics. You know, what, what, what would you warn me against? The one is what I said to you. Are you prepared to hate everything and everybody and find out it's worse than you thought? Right? So I try to talk you out of taking this job. I worked at the register, okay. so I was pretty close to that already. <laughs> <laughs> the other is you will find out how fragile the system really is. And I mean, I go, I remember my early days on WHO before I knew who Mitt Romney was. I couldn't stand John McCain. And he became my first ever effort to politically take somebody out. I made it my mission to destroy his 2008 Iowa caucus campaign during this, the, the winter and spring of 2007. And I was wildly successful, mind you. All right. But one of the things that I remember, that I remember blew me away. This guy spent five years in the Hanoi Hilton, man. Why wouldn't you just roll up on my 50,000? Why don't you just walk in unannounced? Say, hey, fat boy. When your, when your mama was getting knocked up in the back seat of her, uh, 
high school seniors uh, sedan. I was being tortured by the I was the getting Viet tortured Kong. by the VA Kong. So I'm, I'm going to take a seat, and why don't we have a conversation here, right? Sure. You, you would think that was how... Couldn't have ran away far enough. I mean, you, you don't... It, it's truly remarkable how we have sustained this thing. Tremendous. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jim Rome. <laughs> by how... You'll see from the inside out how fragile it truly is. How fragile people's egos are. Just how fragile it is. That's and then it'll, and it'll, it, if there's anything that will be good that will come out of that is it will inspire you to fight harder for what's left of it. Knowing that in most of the world, they would trade vital, sensitive parts of their anatomy to suffer through the kinds of things that we call a decline in our country right now, right? And so that's why we fight. Next, we go to Socks of Freedom, who asks, does Trump belong in the Nuremberg Two trials? In what capacity? I think you'd have to answer that question first. But I would absolutely call him to testify. I'd want to know. Who talked to him? What, 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 what was he promised? Um, what was the chain of command? And... Well, you, you're the guy who bragging about Operation Warp Speed. What did they tell you that meant in yeah. all of its particulars? For that matter, I'm okay with calling all the governors too, including his rival in Florida. Hey, you were out there aggressively giving this to people. You had one of the most aggressive vaccine rollouts in early 21 for the elderly in the country. Why? What claims were made to you? Mm-hmm. Then, then, then what got? What, then what had you completely do a 180 and hire people like Joe Latipo from America's Frontline Doctors to be your health department director? Now, my guess is he's. Uh, you're you're going to learn that information during his. He's con- conducting his own tribunal and grand jury. But, but I to me I I think absolutely we should know those things. I mean, one of the key questions that that the the president should be asked is, were you aware? But before before we would have a year ago, we would have asked or even a month or two ago, we would have asked it. Where did the lifting of the Obama era moratorium on gain of function research happen in your administration? Did you ever hear about that or know about that? Well, now, was it the Washington Post, Aaron, I want to say last week? One of those entities, did they not? Was in your montage. Did they not last week report one of the mainstream entities that actually... Oh, New York Times. Of, New York Times. One of the final acts of Obama's presidency on the way oh, out no, the door? Oh, no, it was Washington Examiner. Okay. Oh, yeah. so it wasn't, it wasn't the yeah. mainstream media. It was on our side. Okay. Um, so then, did, you know, this is probably what I would ask the president. What was the first time you heard the term gain of function? Because that would probably get us, lead us down the path of the other answers that... Um, I mean, I, dude, I'd call members of Congress, even ones we voted for. Hey, did you take a prophylaxis? Did you take ivermectin? Did you take hydroxy? Who administered it to you? How did you hear about it? Why didn't you, why didn't you tell your constituents about it? I mean, I'm, I'm, are you watching Queen Latifah as the, as the equalizer? Neither am I. Uh, the next zombie show? Neither am I. So we could all use a little primetime distraction at night, right? Especially given the way this Michigan basketball season is going. So I'm fine calling everyone. Put them all on camera. Absolutely everyone. Ask them everything. 
Call every member of the White House. Did you take a prophylaxis? Who was on our show recently? They said, as far as they knew, every member of the White House had taken a prophylaxis. Somebody just said that on our show recently, and I'm trying to remember who it was. Call them all. Why weren't you telling people? I don't have a problem with that. Do you? Oh, no. I, I, I don't. I don't. I, you know. You're proud of it. I want to see what you're proud you, of. Yeah. Some of you need to decide if sharing clips of your favorite politician is more important than not getting poisoned again or risking getting poisoned again. Some of you need to decide if, you know, your guy not being as heavy petted by the masses as you would heavy pet them is more important to you than, oh, snap, all the churches are closed. Now, some of you need to make that decision. So... I'm totally okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to think Ron DeSantis got some data. He's certainly brought the Scott Atlases and Johnny Anides and Jay Bhattacharya's down to Florida enough times for events, right? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out he just did it for pure political reasons. I don't know. I'm not afraid to find out, though. And I'm totally okay with whatever the answers are. I just know without them, they will do it again. And they will keep doing it this time again. Answers. No matter where they go or who it offends. You know what's offensive? Trying to poison me for the last few years. I'm offended by that. You offended by that? A bit. Trying to shut down my church. You offended by that? Yes. Telling me my business is not essential. Does that offend you whatsoever? Always. Making my kids sterile and, you know, um, teaching them what the term died suddenly means. Does that offend you at all? It's annoying. Hell of a lot more offended by those things than whether, does my guy win the primary or not? Who gives a flat rip about that? We're trying to stop one of the worst scourges in human history that's going on right now. Next, we go to Jim, who asks, I know Carrie Lake is a sore subject for you, but what do you think about the large rallies that she's having having, and uh, the continuation of her legal case? Is she running for vice president? So for those of you that don't know, Carrie Lake is a sore subject for me because I thought she might have been the most impressive candidate I've ever seen on the right. Just in terms of her natural talent and ability level, and having the opportunity, the opportunity cost lost of not seeing what potential could have been realized with the um, the ensuing power that goes with an office such as governor, that's that breaks that breaks my heart. That's you know that's why I have a hard time. We don't I don't bring it up that much because I, maybe she would have disappointed us, man. I don't know, but I would have loved to have found out, right? On the other part, though, I think they stole the election from her. So at this point, anything short of um, her committing acts of vigilantism, I think she has every standing to do whatever she wants. She wants to turn this into a future Senate run. Fine. She wants to turn this into a future VP run. Fine. I mean, I, I, she does not have the experience profile of a vice president, but if Trump's the nominee and it's down to Elise Stefanik, who does, or Carrie Lake, who do you want him to pick? Carrie Lake. Yeah, three, uh, 27 times out of 10, probably, right? Maybe 32 times out of 10? Exactly. We'll figure, we'll figure out, we can fix her lack of experience. We cannot fix Elise Stefanik's Stefanikness. So, um, yeah, at this point, when you've had it stolen from you, as she has, 
I think she can do whatever she wants as long as it's, you know, it doesn't become like a criminal vigilante. And by the way, remember, I'm the guy that said I'm totes fine Trump running on the grounds that they stole the election from him. I'm a guy, man. I totally have said that, have I not? Yeah. Totally get that. In fact, I'm inclined to think that that motivation is actually a pretty positive one. And now he's really pissed. Okay. He was kind of pissed and then tried to see if he could, once he got in there, figure out maybe I got to make some alliances with these people. And then they stole it from him and left him naked on the side of the road. And now he's got a Donald Trump with an ax to grind, particularly if it's against the people that I've, that I've got a few axes to grind for. I'm totally in favor of that. So I don't have a, I mean, Carrie Lake can use this as a platform for whatever she wants, in my view, because they stole it from her. Um, she's not, if, if, the, if there was ever anything to grandstand off of, it's whatever the hell happened in Maricopa County. So by all means, grandstand away. Next, we go to Rusty, who asks, would living in a Christ-centered monarchy form of government be preferable to the system we've had the last hundred years? Now, this is, this is the kind of question I expect when we let the gab people ask. I was wondering, when are we going to gab? When is this, when is this Q&A going to get gabified? It's taken a few, but now we are here. <laughs> All right. I love this question. It is a great question. Here's how I will answer in a general, and I'll, I'll answer with two generalities. And I'll let you guys tell me if, if, if that's a sufficient answer or if you think I punked out. Number one. Every form of government in all of human history has been a theocracy. Every single one. There has never been a government in all of human history that in the end did not claim that either its power to rule came from God, that it was a proxy stand-in or the actual God itself, or in the case of our own, that rights came from God and the purposes of governments being instituted among men were to secure those God-given rights. So there has, there's never, ever been a government that wasn't some form of theocracy. We are really just debating, is it a direct or indirect one? And who, and or who is the Theo here in the theocracy? So you have a theocratic, I, well, maybe not a monarchy, but oligarchy now. I mean, the reason why hockey writers lost it on that Russian player last week and now they're losing it on the New York Rangers is because it was never about love is love and it was never about marriage. It was always about replacing your religion with mine and then forcing it on you. We don't, it, it always comes back to Animal Farm every time. So we're always, everything's a theocracy. We're just going to debate direct or indirect and who or what is Theo, period. Secondly, tyranny occurs in human societies when spheres of influence exceed their God-given jurisdictions. For example, when a father believes that he is God, that he is the ultimate arbiter of right and wrong in the home, he can do no wrong. He can take from his spouse and his children what he wants, demand what he wants. He becomes a tyrant because he can't. He's not God. He's dad. He is the head of the home, but he isn't the God of the home. So whenever those, whenever those spheres of influence get exceeded, those jurisdictions get exceeded, 
tyranny occurs. And you bet your sweet bippy that when the church as an institution exceeds that spear, tyranny can happen within it too. One example that gets often pointed to, and the reason why it gets often pointed to is because we don't have like 20 examples of this. Because most of the time through history, the challenge has been getting the church to actually fulfill its sphere of influence rather than worrying about it exceeding it, like the era in which we live now. Okay, but there's a reason why the Christ and the Christ come up every time. Okay, when this conversation comes up, why do those two come up every time, guys? Because if they had 22 others to come up with, they would probably come up with those, right? So they just come up with those two every time because those are the two obvious ones. Most of the rest of history, Germany in the 1930s, America right now, most of the rest of the time, it's the church looking the other way as the evil arises. It's the church being the sons of Adam that they are. What, me worry? I got nothing for you. Crush the head of a serpent? I don't even know what a serpent is. But that fruit looks mighty juicy. So passivity has been the problem with the church throughout much of its history. Not the excessive use of force. But there have been times that the church has exceeded its grasp from a jurisdictional standpoint and has become tyrannical. And two of those times were during the Crusades and the Inquisition, which is why all of you know those two times, because they're like the only two times in like 3,000 years, all right? All the other times, the church was like, so when are you guys going to hit puberty, okay? But any, any institution that exceeds its God-given jurisdictional authority, whether secular or sacred, will become a tyrant. Because by exceeding your God-given jurisdictional authority, you are essentially proclaiming whom now is God? You are. Whose language, whose mission statement is, ye be like God? That the good guy or the bad guy's mission statement? Bad. That's the bad guys. So anytime you make that decision, are you like your heavenly father or your father the devil? The latter. The latter. Is that an okay answer? Yeah, I'd like to say something about it, but when we come back. All right. More in a moment. Last year, we partnered with our friends over at Preborn to save over 50,000 babies from being killed via abortion. Thanks to all of you that made that possible this year. We're going to shoot for 70,000 babies. And ultimately, we're going to shoot for never having to do this or talk about it ever again. I mean, that's the ultimate goal here. But one of the one of the reasons why we wanted to sign up to support and align with Preborn is there's just a lot of great pro-life causes out there. But as a kid born to a 15-year-old mom who we literally grew up together, was on food stamps and ADC and all that kind of stuff, it, we got to be careful not to romanticize the idea that it's great being a young single mom. It's not challenging at all. Motherhood's challenging even in ideal circumstances, let alone that. And that's what they get at preborn. So it's not just about showing the mom the sonogram or letting her hear the heartbeat. That's important. That ultrasound is in and of itself. And that's phenomenal. Okay. But they go next level. They don't just do that. They then, when that mom makes the choice for life, they've got her back. Whether it's prenatal care, whether it's car seats, cribs, uh, formula, uh, counseling, 
all of it free because of donations from people like us. So they know to truly end this scourge, this plague on our land, you got to love them both. And they do that at Preborn. So if you want to support them, they make it free because of support from people like us, which means they need our support. All right, dial pound 250 right now on your mobile phone and say the keyword baby. Dial pound 250 with the keyword baby or just donate today at preborn.com slash Steve. Again, that's preborn.com slash Steve. All right, before we go to the next question, you said you wanted to add something on the last one. The way Steve framed it is the only way to think about this to make this question matter. Because you can be really surface level and stupid and jingoistic or look at the look at the current British monarchy right now. I mean, you know, Prince Harry and the horse's ass he's making of himself. I mean, you can just default and like this is dumb. But if you take it on its merits and you think about the things that we believe are fundamentally important on the show and you just compare the current morass as is the state of the American experiment and the ideal and this is what this is specifically about the ideal of a Christian monarchy. I don't even hesitate. And I don't think any listener of this show should, if we really are fighting for that, you take that Christian monarchy over what we have today. If that's the, if that's the choice. Now, if you, if you say under ideal circumstances, a, a Christian monarchy versus a Christian Republic, uh, you make whatever choice you want to make, but I honestly don't think this is even, I, I don't even pause because ultimately at the end of the day, what are we about first and foremost? It is the good, the true, and the beautiful as defined under the headship of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I listened to the specific way this question was answered, for, but for me, it's very simple. And I think we could talk about this for two hours if we wanted to. Sure. But, but in the end, you have to understand There is no form of government that is not susceptible to the corrosiveness of human sin. There there just isn't. That's why your answer was so important. It was more than sufficient. That's why I I wanted to answer up here. It was just a starter. Yeah, yeah. because, you know, I used to say the biggest mistake we made in Iraq and Afghanistan was assuming that our way of life, our form of government was a plug-and-play system. And that if we just, you know downloaded it and with on a you know on a flash drive and took it over there and inserted it in their hard drive and just had uh, you know Google Translate turn it to Arabic okay and the Bible to the Quran and uh, representative republic to parliamentary democracy people there would just automatically choose self-government and freedom no the, the the system we have is the result of the worldview that the country was founded upon it's not a worldview in and of itself. And, and their worldview you, you, isn't instantly... Isn't, we, we, Islam has been a major force in this world since the 7th century. Is that a long time? Yeah. Yeah. How often have... How long have predominantly Islamic cultures lived in any form of freedom at all? Not very. For that matter, how long have predominantly Judeo-Christian ones lived in any form of freedom at all? Not very. That's why we are the longest concurrent experiment in, in self-government in all of human history. And we're at, you know, 242 years, I think. So this isn't simple. And, the, and it's because human nature is depraved. It has fallen. So the idea now that, that if we just plug and play it into a different system... Our sinfulness will not follow is not true. That's why 
when any of those spheres of influence, including the church, exceed their God-given jurisdiction, tyranny will occur. Because those jurisdictions are there in acknowledgement and recognition of our fallen natures. When we pretend as if, no, they're not, and we know better than God, that is pride, which is the root of all sin. All right, next, next question. That's a good one, though. Let's go to T4 Freedom, who asks, have you seen Ancient Apocalypse or been exposed to the theories of Graham Hancock or Jimmy Corsetti about technologically advanced, in some ways more advanced than our own civilizations before the Great Flood? If so, what is your take and how does that impact your understanding of the book of Genesis? I've never heard of any of this, I'm afraid. Never heard of the names. I've never heard of any of it. Let's pretend that there, let's pretend, we'll just take this at face value. Would that change your understanding of the book of Genesis at all? No, because I don't interpret the book of Genesis based on what human beings tell me. I interpret human beings on on the basis of what God tells me. I don't practice eisegesis, I practice exegesis. Two different things. Are you familiar with the show, Aaron? No, I've never heard of this. I've heard of the first one, and I've heard of Graham Hancock. But I, I've, I've never even heard the names. I'm sorry. There is a, have you guys heard about what Adam Driver's new movie is? It's coming out in about a month? No. No. About six weeks. I think it comes out in the middle of March. It's called 65 or 65 million years ago. No. So they don't, so they don't, when you see the trailer, looks like a future human society and he's on an exploration mission, crashes on a planet. It looks very primitive. You find out the planet's actually Earth. And so he's here 65 million years ago with the dinosaurs and stuff like that. That's what Adam Driver's new movie is. So. Okay. But yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with it. I was all into, when I was a kid, I read all the Eric Von Donegan, Chariots of the Gods, and all that kind of stuff. That's why I thought you may have heard of some of this. Yeah, but this is, these are different names that I don't know. Let's go to Stephanie, who asks this um, rather lengthy question. I've worked in a Christian school that began allowing, quote-unquote, scholarship students into the school. The only requirement for getting one of these scholarships was being poor and having attended public schools for at least a year. The kids that came to the school on these scholarships were mostly terrible. I watched as rules were changed to accommodate the students and the overall quality of the school deteriorated. Students were suddenly getting in trouble for drugs, etc. Dress code changed. It's so bad now that I would not allow any of my children to attend because of the other students they'd be forced to be around. But aren't one thing? Uh, but aren't one thing parents are paying for in a private or Christian education is to get their kids out of that environment. And this question was like three times as long. It had multiple parts trying to get at a point. I mean, this this school choice thing is r- really testing people. So, you ever seen the best Christmas pageant ever? No, never seen it. We used to back when it was okay to like me in this community. Um, we had, you know, we used to go to the playhouse and stuff for, that's one of the reasons why our oldest Anna got so much into theater and everything else is we went down there to see shows all the time for free and, uh, and they do a great job. And one of the things they used to do almost every Christmas is the best Christmas pageant ever. And it's a story about, uh, basically the kids from the other side of the tracks with the not best upbringing. Okay decide that uh, or I can't remember if they decide or get forced or enlisted or drafted into being a part of the Christmas play the Christmas pageant at church and they come with a lot of rough edges 
which offends a lot of people. They're not nice. Okay. Um, but through that experience, they get introduced to the gospel for the very first time and it has a huge impact on them. And so both some of the fuddy duddies in the church learn a valuable lesson. Um, to quote from Paul, such as once were some of you, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But then also those kids, because they didn't alter the message of the pageant to fit their background. They didn't, they didn't water it down. They didn't change what the pageant was about because they had these kids from a rougher neighborhood that were going to be in it. So because the truth wasn't compromised at the same time, those kids got in for the first time in their lives an earnest exposure to the gospel and it had a huge impact on them. Stephanie, the, the part of your note that I would zero in on is when you start talking about standards are being changed, rules are being changed. What's expected? Um, and let's make sure that we're talking about major rules, right? So like, who is the kid in Bad News Bears? The bad at Kelly Leak, all right? So it was not shocking to audiences in 1975 or whenever the Bad News Bears came out originally with Walter Matthau. To see a 12, 13, or 14-year-old boy smoking cigarettes was not, like Kelly Leak was, was not shocking to that audience because that's about the time most of them would have tried their first cancer stick too. Would that be a shocker to our audiences today? Yeah. Right? Okay. So that's a societal standard that has changed. Mm -hmm. But there might be other things that they come to the table with that would not shock the systems of our culture as much as it would in other eras too. Make sense? Sure. Okay. So I'm not talking about fighting over those things. Those are things in your open hand. What I hear you saying, though, is that the, the Christian school has essentially altered the fundamentals of its behavioral code. They don't have the authority to do that. That actually goes back to the last question we were just answering. Is that their behavioral code? No. No. Anybody ever been catechized into a Christian school's behavioral code? Like that's, is that what Luther nailed 95 Christian behavioral code statements to the door at Wittenberg? Is that what he did? Where would, where would a Christian school get their behavioral code from? Well, presumably, where would they get one from? From God, I From hope. Christ, yeah. That, that, hence the term Christian school, right? Yeah. Does he routinely offer you opportunities to amend what he thinks. Does he throw it open to interpretation on many respects? Does he say things like, why do you call me Lord and do not do what, my, do, do what I say, except when it's really hard and then maybe you just got to kind of pull a Fleetwood Mac here and go your own way. Is that, is that a, did I just accurately quote the Bible? Well, that new commercial campaign is saying like, he gets you bro or something like he, that. Yes. So I don't know. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's kind of what this is. Yeah. All right. So are we talking about some kids that don't have the benefits of the kinds of homes that most of the families that could afford the exorbitant cost of a Christian school can provide. And so 
we're gonna we're gonna be the fuddy duddies now and act like in the best Christmas pageant ever. Their their souls just aren't that important because you know their parents smoke or they may say uh, you know sucks or uh, uh, you know another naughty word too much around my own kids and <gasps> okay is that the gospel? No. To exclude them now. No. Is it the gospel to say you couldn't possibly be expected to know what is right and do it? Therefore, we will accommodate you in the current state you are and never ask for anything more. Is that the gospel? That's not it either. That's your gospel. That's another gospel. So I don't affirmatively quote George W. Bush very often anymore, but he once coined the phrase, the bigotry of low expectations. The idea that some kids, because of their socioeconomic or racial status, just couldn't be expected not to be dumb thugs. So we just appease that and satiate that and modify it, behaviorally modify that accordingly with that built-in assumption. Sounds a little bit like from what you are describing, that's what's gone on here. All right, we'll take one more here after I tell you about our friends over at Bullion Max. If you want to find out why wealthy and prosperous and wise people have used precious metals and rare commodities like gold and silver as a hedge against government debasement schemes, you know, like what's going on in America today, you want to find out why they've done that, get involved right now with our friends over at Bullion Max. Get their employee-priced, can't make it any more inexpensive than that, employee-priced silver starter kit that includes some of the most desirable silver products to invest in today, including the Silver American Eagle and so much more. Take advantage of this deal, but it's so good we ask that you limit it to one per household. When you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve, again, the Silver Starter Kit at employee pricing cannot make it any more inexpensive and accessible than that. bullionmax.com slash Steve. That's bullionmax.com slash Steve. We'll probably have to take two more, FYI, starting with Mark. Are you a CIA, FBI plant? If I am, I am the lowest paid one. That's exactly what a CIA, FBI plant would say. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Absolutely perfect. Um, Maybe it would explain why so many other people the last few years got banned from Twitter, and I never did. Maybe that would explain it. I am a plant. Could be. Ray, let's end on this one. Um, Ray asks, thoughts on the latest Andy Stanley situation, a pastor who believes, quote, gay Christians have more faith than regular Christians. He sure influenced a lot of aspiring megachurches over the years. Yeah, Andy Stanley has been speaketh with forked tongue for several years now. So I know what he said, the, that remark recently is is gaining a lot of traction, but it's actually nothing new. He, is, he has been on um, the uh, the highway to hell, the road to perdition here for several years. That's not new. This is just maybe a flashpoint to a lot of people. And number two, there is no such thing as a gay Christian. Doesn't exist. Doesn't mean you can't be a Christian and struggle with same-sex desires or behavior. Um, can't be particularly prone to a weakness in that area. Okay, but we wouldn't accept the idea. I, hi, I'm a, uh, I'm a Christian pornographer. There's just, there's just no such thing. Right? I mean, that's, you, can't, if, if you may struggle with those things. You may be ashamed of your predilections in certain areas, as we all are. But to attach them as an identity to your faith, you don't have permission to do that. You were bought at a high price. 
someone else's blood, they will tell you what the terms are, not you. You don't have permission to modify that which was given to you freely that you do not deserve. So that term in and of itself is a canard. That'll do it for today's program. We are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.